Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. I'm glad to see Brother Lewis with uh, a zeal for God's house. He's like, it was said of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up is the King James expression, and and uh, so we colloquially say, somebody's eat up with something. And what a better thing to be eat up with than a zeal for God's house. And, and I appreciate Brother Lewis's words very, very much. I always think about, uh, Brother Lewis came and said, I've got something on my heart I really want to, I want to say. Um, when I first started preaching, that's that's the way Brother Jerry Hunt Sr., that's Brother Aaron's grandfather, was my pastor at that time. and That's the way we did it, only there were six of us. <laughs> and uh, so uh, it's been kind of hard to have a sign at certain times for us to all speak. And, uh, and it turned out three of us truly had a call from God to preach. Two were still in the ministry. One kind of fell by the wayside, not morally or anything, just quit preaching, and uh, two were faithfully serving in, as deacons in churches, and one was a place to begin with. But anyway, uh, I really I really appreciate that, Brother Lewis. And uh, matter of fact, I, I'd be like uh, we recently spoke of in uh, in the, the Gospels, where the disciples of Jesus came running up and said, there's, there's two men back in town casting out demons in your name. We told them to stop. Jesus said, don't tell them to stop. Uh, so I, I wish that God would put it on more hearts, people to jump up and share something of the Lord's uh, dealings in their souls. And, and uh, Brother uh, Steve, you wanna, you'll want to get a copy of the tape from Wednesday night because that comment you made just two or three weeks ago about I will have... Go, go and learn what this means. I'll have mercy, not sacrifice. Really impressed, was impressed on my mind and, uh, I spoke some things concerning that. So you never know when, when just a, a word, a meditation, a thought somebody has will, will click and, and have meaning and, well, <clears throat> may God grant Brother Lewis's prayer to us this morning. Let's turn to the scriptures to Luke chapter 15. And as we study through the parables, we come today to consider the parable of the lost sheep. Back when I first began this series on the parables, I spoke on one of the companion parables to this one, the parable, the parable of the prodigal son. And the Lord Jesus in this account in Matt and Luke gives three parables back to back to emphasize, um, a point that he was wanting to make in the context. And <clears throat> each of them is there to to exemplify some element of teaching about how that God claims his children. Matthew also gives the parable of the of the lost sheep, 
but without the other two in connection with it, and and some quite different things are going on in, in Matthew's account. Of course, I'm sure the Lord Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep dozens, if not hundreds of times in his going around, and he would preach in all the villages and places and stay and teach, and and so the same parable would, would appear in different contexts, and uh, here in the 15th chapter of Luke and then in the 18th chapter of Matthew. We'll consider more in depth this passage in the Gospel of Luke. So we're in Luke chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Then drew near unto Jesus all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spake this parable unto them say, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he finds it? And when he has, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. <clears throat> we find in this parable and in and, and other degrees in the succeeding parables, the next parable deals with the lost coins. A woman has ten coins, she lost one. And she determined to have that coin, which represents a day's wage. And she she lights a candle and sweeps the floor. She's going to stay after it till she finds it. And then, of course, the last parable is the parable of the prodigal son, of the son who made a conscious and uh, determined effort to leave his father's house and go out and have his fill of sin. In each of these three parables, the Lord reclaims that which was His. But I want us to focus on this parable today, the parable of the, of the lost sheep. Because this parable is particularly important to each of us because it is each of us. This parable is a parable for each of us. We might not relate quite so well, all of us, to to uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Because we might not have ever been in a place where once we have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and once we have committed our lives to Christ in some, in some public sense, uh, as in, for instance, baptism, and then make a conscious decision to walk away from that. Now, the Bible tells us that someone who does that, that there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and a righteous indignation of God. But now we have a balance to that in the prodigal prodigal son because this great truth is exemplified in the parable of the prodigal son. And that is this. No one, no one ever walks away from God. None who belong to Him, none who are His children, 
None for whom Christ died ever finally and fully walk away from God. He will not have it. They're his. They belong to him. His stamp is upon them. His seal is upon them. The blood of Christ was shed for their sins. And the Bible says this, that the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If a man is able to ever at walk away from God finally and forever and live his life away from God and die away from God, it is a manifest evidence that he never was one of God. He did not belong to God in the first place. God loves his sheep. And think of it like this. You think about your own children. These are God's children. Think about your own children. I can, I can assure you that your children will never do so badly. If you belong to God, that is. Your children could, could never do so badly. But what if they came to you weeping and asking your forgiveness? You would, you would take them in and love them and care for them. They're your children. They're begotten of your body. They belong to you and they will always belong to you. My daddy always said um, about, about his children. He says, as long as I have a, a, a crust of bread to my name, if my children need it, they're welcome to, they're welcome to half of it. Just half, he keeps half on his own. <laughs> That's okay. That, that was his expression. My, my children are always welcome to, to what I've got. If I've got it, they've got it. And that's the way it is with God. But I think we see something a little more fundamental in this parable of the lost sheep because this, this parable of the lost sheep is the parable of every man. It is the parable of us. This afternoon, Lord willing, we will, we will take the Lord's Supper and and uh, I intend to go and read if God will let us uh, live till then and doesn't change my mind out of the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, a very favorite passage of Scripture to all of us. But in that it speaks of sheep. He says, for all we like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on Christ, on him, the iniquity of us all. So you see, if we can understand this parable this morning, it'll do us a great service because it will make us understand the great love that the shepherd has for his sheep. And there's only one thing that will truly motivate a child of God, Brother Lewis, to ever do anything more than go to church in some kind of haphazard, apathetic way, and that'll be a love for Jesus. Ah, love for Jesus will wash away your apathy. A view of the risen Christ, a view of, a view of the crucified Christ and of the risen Christ will wash away all apathy. A view of what Christ has done for me will wash away all apathy. Because when I see Him who loved me, and I see Him who, who died for me, I see Him, Him who was willing to suffer for me, and I believe that that was for me, then I will, in turn, love Him all the much more. Well, we have the context of this chapter here. The publicans and the sinners 
were gathering around Jesus. People whose reputation was tarnished. Publicans, of course, the tax collectors here, who were viewed by their fellow Jews as traitors. They were treated in, in most respects like Gentiles, and in many ways they were. They did act in a treasonous fashion. They were, they conspired with the Romans to, to extract taxes from the people. They were seen as being, as being complicit with the Romans. Uh, and once you have ever seen as being complicit with the Romans, then, then your, your name is anathema to a Jew. Uh, we love the works of Flavius Josephus, a great Jewish historian. But let me tell you this. He was viewed by his people as a traitor because he conspired with Rome to try to talk Jerusalem into surrendering in 70 AD, which he failed. And their obstinance caused their, their city to be destroyed, the temple to be destroyed. But Josephus' writings are still in print today. 2,000 years after he wrote them. But he is not revered by the Jews. They did not reprint his works. They do not reprint his works. They do not consider his, his history to be a valid history. If you were ever seen as, as treasonous, uh, then, then, uh, then you would not be faithful to God or to your country by reading such things. They were not allowed to give testimony in court. They were, they were, as it were, cut off from the people. And so when Jesus was seen to be uh, hobnobbing with these publicans, these tax collectors, and not only that, these sinners. Now, whatever these sinners were, usually when some sinner is, some sin is named in this context, it's, it's usually a prostitute. And, and what a sad thing it is to live such a wicked life as that. But Jesus is consorting with them. Now, back in Matthew, the, the context that led up to that was, was uh, something similar to this. And he starts talking about offense and how to deal with offenses. What to do when you are offended. And he talks about it before it and he talks about it afterwards. And so... Here in this passage, though, he tells us here that Jesus is consorting with sinners, people of bad reputation, people of uh, who, who were not outwardly righteous. They were not inwardly righteous. They were sinners. And they reproved Jesus and his disciples for eating with these publicans and sinners. Now, I would have each of us today to try to make this message personal to his own heart. There may be some among us today who have always had a tender heart for God. From the time of your earliest remembrances, when you were just a little child, you had, you had tender regard for God and the things of God, and the Word of God. You know, I tell you, for my part, I envy that. I, I thank God for that. What a blessing to have never known the depth of Satan. What a, what a benefit. What a, and yet, we see God's providence in working in different place, times and places. Perhaps you may 
be able to recount a time in your life when you seriously, maliciously, heinously broke God's law. You lived with a disregard for God, His Word. You lived without a respect for His, His, His house and the things of God and, and you lived in sin. And you may remember a particular time when, when the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ shed light and shone into your heart and you felt yourself to be awakened and you felt yourself to be enlivened for the first time in your life. One old Puritan put it like this. He said, the man who has lived in a dungeon can probably well remember the first moment that he felt the sunlight on his face when he came into freedom. The man who has lived in the sunshine cannot remember that, yet he feels the sunshine on his face. And then he goes on to say, For God breaketh not all men's hearts alike. Sometimes God is pleased to break the heart of rebellion and sin while someone is still in his mother's womb. Sometimes God is pleased to to withhold that blessing from one of His children till they are of riper age. But make no mistake about it. If any man loves Jesus today, it is because He went out and found them and brought them to Himself. Whether He did that before they were conscious of their existence in this world, or if it was at some later time in their life when they when they had a great awakening in their soul. The same is true in both cases. We are His sheep, and we are in His pasture, and we experience the blessing of God because He went out and found us. And so this parable is for every man. We might not relate quite so distinctly to the parable son, each of us. Although I can remember a time in my life when I was away from God, when I cared, cared not for His law and His things, and, and delighted in sin, and in taking my fill of sin. And if God had not arrested me on, at the place where He did, I'm sure this day I'd probably be in a prison instead of a pulpit. And I, I don't say that lightly. For the course that, that I was on and hateful nature that I had by, by wickedness and and I remember a time when, when the light of the gospel shone most powerfully in my soul. I felt it as a child, a young child. And I believe it was real at that time. But much like the prodigal, I went away from God. I did not care for God until He chose to arrest me. And so I relate to, to the prodigal son. I relate to the love of the Father. And that when He brought me back to Himself... I found myself ready to be received in the arms of a loving father who cared for me because I was his sheep. Oh, I'm so thankful for the doctrine of perseverance that we teach that God in His sovereign mercy and pleasure is pleased to keep and preserve one of His children to the place to where they will persevere in holiness and faith and grace so that not one of them shall ever fall away and be lost. But now I want us to think about the shepherd and the sheep. The Bible is, is replete with this whole imagery of the shepherd and the sheep. 
David, back in Psalm 23, draws on this analogy, being a, being a shepherd. And he says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, my friends, that is the psalm of the sheep whom the shepherd has found. They love the shepherd. They want to be close to the shepherd. They want to feel his nearness. They want to feel his protection. They want to feel his strength. And so it is today with you, my dear friends, if you this day have experienced the love of the shepherd, there's nothing you enjoy more. There's nothing you long for more than to be near to him. And so Jesus picks up on this imagery in the New Testament. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I want us to turn briefly to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. For therein Jesus deals with this analogy most fully. He says just a few verses. They came to Jesus in John chapter 10. After he has said to them, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In verse 11, he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. I love, I love the word know here. It is such a beautiful word. There are two words that are translated know out of the Greek. One is, one is the idea to know about. One is to know of an intimate relationship. One is a knowledge of love, a loving knowledge. And so it is said in, in Romans chapter 8, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Listen, my friend, God didn't look down through time. It, we're not talking about foreknowledge in that passage, nor the knowledge of God here. You know, I preached a sermon on this not too long ago, and comparing and contrasting omniscience with foreknowledge. God didn't just look down through time and see who all the good people were. You know why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. My friends, if God had looked down through time to see who the good ones would have been, he would have chosen none. But oh, my friends, God looked down through time and he saw a people whom he named his sheep whom He loved with an everlasting love, on whom He placed His affection, and He purposed in the covenant of grace to send His only begotten Son into the world to die for their sins, to pay the penalty for their sins. And so Isaiah 53 goes on, And they have turned every way one to his own way, but the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And then the Holy Spirit in time comes and brings that salvation near to the heart of God's child so that they... So that they love Him. And so He says here that I am the Good Shepherd and I know my sheep. Oh, think of that. 
God has loved His sheep with an everlasting love. There was an old Puritan, Joseph Elaine, who wrote a book called An Alarm for the Unconverted. And he, he uses this quibble that men sometimes rise against election. And he says, some will argue, well, if I'm an elect, I can live however I will. And I belong to him. If I'm not, it doesn't matter what I do, I'd be damned. He says, perverse sinner, will you start where you should end? He says, argue your election from your conversion. Some might say, am I one of God's elect? Am I one of God's sheep? Do I belong to Him? Well, how can you know that? Uh, God's elect don't have, as someone said, a big E stamped on His head. They're the elect. And I can know that. I'm, the Bible says, make your calling and election sure. How can you know that you are one of the elect? Well, I can tell you, it's very simple. You are one of God's elect. You belong to God if the shepherd has come and found you and got you and brought you out of sin and degradation and a life away from God and He has brought you to yourself, my friends, that's the mark of an elect. Let no man say, well, I don't know if I'm an elect or not, so I don't know if I should repent of my sins or not. Listen, my friends, the prodigal son is the parable there for you. Because what God does, this is the true mark of God. What God does for a poor sinner when he is wallowing in the quagmire of sin and degradation in this world, you know what God does to him? At some time in his life, he comes into his right mind. And he comes to this knowledge, what am I doing in this pig pen? I don't belong in this pig pen. I know where there are better things. And he's talking about spiritually. There's nothing material there. The, the point is not material. Even though there were material things there. He says, I will go back to my father. And I will tell my father that I've sinned. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me just shovel the manure in the barn. And so he goes back. And the father sees him coming from afar off. And he knows it's his son. And he goes out and he rushes out to meet him. And the son doesn't, doesn't even have an opportunity to fully express all that he's rehearsed in his mind. His father throws his arms around him, commands that the robe be put upon him and a ring be put upon him and the fatted calf be killed. My friends, if you belong to God, God's going to make much ado about you. He's not going to, le he's not going to let you, he's not going to let you stay in, in, in sin and degradation of this world. Not only that, if you go as an act of your will, even after you've tasted of the heavenly things, God's not going to let you stay there because not only does He have a staff, He has a rod. And God is not afraid to use His rod. And I dare say there's not a one of us here today who has not felt the sharp blows of God's rod upon Him. Painful, yes, but oh, a sweet token of ownership. One who does not belong to God, they're not his. He'll let them go. And so it is said over there in that difficult passage in Hebrews chapter 6, 
where it says that someone has tasted of the heavenly things and he turns away, there, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and righteous indignation from God which shall destroy the adversary. But I'm, I'm glad he ends up in Hebrews chapter 6 by saying, but brethren, he says, we're persuaded better things of you and the things that accompany salvation, even though we speak like this. God may in his providence let you wander off. He may in his providence let you have your way for a time. But what you will discover is once you've tasted the field of the shepherd, once you've eaten in his pasture, once you've drunk by his still waters, you'll find the other like the prodigal son. It'll be as as the husks of corn fit only to feed to the pigs. And God will bring you to your right mind and you will come back. He will bring you back. But let's notice this one in particular. First, let's finish up here in John chapter 10. He says he says to the Jews who didn't believe on him. Uh, in verse 26, he says, But you believe me not because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you. There were some who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some who repented of their sins and confessed their sins and were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But these did not. They did not receive His Word, nor do they receive His Word today. He says, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep? Look at this. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. My friends, he says here, my sheep hear my voice. At some time during the life of the child of grace, no matter if he's wandering off in the most wicked sin, no matter if he's a publican, a traitor to his own people, a traitor to his nation, a greedy, money, hungry traitor, can you think of anything worse than a greedy, money, hungry traitor? You know, in Dante's Inferno, the man's, man's thing here, but I think he had a pretty good point. He, when he, when there was, there's hell, he had hell, Inferno, and there are all these levels of hell and and based on how bad you were, as to what level you went to. And and amazingly enough, after he got through, the first level of hell was the uh, kind of the benevolent heathen, people who were heathen. They didn't love. They didn't know Christ, but they weren't just wicked. They they weren't too bad. They just kind of wandered around in the mist all the time. Then the next level was really interesting. The, the next lowest level before under them was your common sinners. Adulterers, murderers, people like that. You know who was in the lowest place of hell? In Dante's Inferno. This is not scripture, of course. Who was in the lowest place of hell? Traitors. Judas was down there. In the lowest part of hell, traitors. And that's what these people were viewed as. Traitors. What about, what about a sinner? Whatever all these sinners were. A prostitute. Someone who, who, who so vilely lives. To, to make a living. And yet, Jesus has some of His children 
among them. And he is willing to rub shoulders with them. Why? Because they're his sheep. Some of them are. Now I'm sure when Jesus died on the cross, and after the period of Christianity passed away from that part of the world, there were still publicans and sinners. But among them, even among them, God had a people. And so, here's the imagery. You've got the sheepfold. The safety of the sheepfold. There's a hundred sheep there. One of them leaves the sheepfold. He goes astray. And he says, which of you having a hundred sheep, if you, if one of them went away, would you not go and leave the ninety and nine and go and take care of them? Now, how would you leave the ninety and nine? Would you just leave them to, to, uh, to the dangers of, of thieves and predators? That would not be a wise shepherd. Who would exchange 99 for one? Who would go out and seek one and, and to expose 99 to danger? No, he leaves them in the enclosure. He sees to it that they are secure. He sees to it that they are left to the hands of, of capable uh, overseers of some sort, whatever the imagery would be there. But he himself... He goes out and he finds that sheep. He does whatever is necessary to come to that sheep and make himself known to that sheep. And then he says he takes that sheep and he places it on his shoulder. The implication here is this sheep is wounded. The sheep is unable to, on its own power, to come back. And so it is, my dear friend, that every one of us is unable in and of himself to follow the shepherd. He must be brought. So the imagery of the next parable. Here's the lost coin. And and one of the elements of that is, here's this coin, an inanimate object. It cannot cry out, here I am, I'm under the couch, find me. Oh no. He goes and sweeps the house. He will have what's his. And he'll do whatever it takes to have what's his. So is the love of the shepherd for the sheep. So is the love of that woman for what is what belongs to her. So is the love of the father to his child. All of these three pictures are there to show us the determination of God, the love of God, and the sovereignty of God that he will have his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. I know them. They know me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall Never perish. They belong to me. And so my friends, sometimes God finds His sheep like John the Baptist still in his mother's womb. Sometimes God finds His sheep like the Apostle Paul who is actively fighting against God. Oh, he is, he is a sad person who's actively fighting against God. Paul, Jesus said to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the bricks, isn't it? It's hard for you to kick the cactus. I saw some cactuses out there in Arizona that you wouldn't want to kick. You wouldn't want to touch. It's hard for you. Sometimes he does them like the, the uh, thief on the cross. Even in the last minutes of their life, he savingly draws near to them. 
each in God's own providential way, each for God's own purpose and whatever whatever He has designed. But let, let this be a sure knowledge in your mind. God knows His sheep, and He will have His sheep. And we can rejoice in that, my friends, because, because of God's sovereign mercy, because of God's sovereign grace, He draws them to Himself. Let us not be found to be fighting against that because it's useless. God will have His children. God will have His sheep. He may, He may smite them with a rod. He may, He may pick them up on His arm, on His back and carry them in His arms like a shepherd. Like a shepherd. He shall lead His flock like a shepherd and gently lead those that are with young. We read in the Old Testament. And so He leaves the ninety and nine. He doesn't leave them just to be neglected. And he goes out to get that one. That's you. That is you and me. If today we we have seen ourselves to be sinners, know ourselves to be in great need of the Savior, know that we have not the ability in and of ourselves to save ourselves, now, this afternoon, we shall take the Lord's Supper. And if you have this view of Christ in your mind, there will be no way that you can come to this table and eat and drink, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, unworthily. You will discern the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, it will be real to you. It will, it will have value to you. Because you believe that Jesus died for me. He died for my sins. You know, I was talking to Trey about this new movie, The Passion, you know, Mel Gibson thing. And we, we are at a somewhat of a disadvantage in our day because we have made capital punishment so sanitary. I read just in, in, in uh, somewhere yesterday, newspaper, I guess, that Utah has finally banned death by firing squad. There have been people in fairly recent memory who have chosen to be executed by firing squad. It's, it used to be a very common way to execute a criminal, a firing squad. They used to, they used to hang criminals in public. People used to see this. And it was thought to be a deterrent. There have been people hanged right down here at the square at Ripley. In, in the 20th century, early part of the 20th century, they were still hanging people on the square as a, as a way to, well, we've, we've made all that sanitary and that's, that's fine. I, I, I'm not against, I'm not against that in any way. But you know, we're at somewhat of a disadvantage because we don't know what crucifixion looks like. When we talk about the shepherd going to get his sheep, what does that mean? Does that mean that Christ takes up his staff and he takes a pleasant jaunt through the mountains and, and, uh, observing all the beautiful scenery and, and, uh, finally he hears the faint bleeding of the sheep and he moves in that direction and he picks up the sheep and carefully puts it on his shoulders and carries it back through the, the wandering valleys and the streams of the, of the mountains there. You know, the pastoral scenes that might be before us. Oh, my friends, what kind of a trip? 
What kind of a journey? What kind of an endeavor was it for Christ to go out and find His sheep? The first century Christian had some concept of that because they knew what crucifixion looked like. They saw how ugly it was. How painful it was. How sinister it was. And and it was not enough for Christ to just come into this sin-cursed earth and allow Himself to be stabbed or beheaded to, to experience some kind of a quick death, a more humane kind of death, and His blood would have been shed and the offering would have been made. But the Lord chose, and He knew this was coming. He told them before it happened, I'm going to Jerusalem and they are going to crucify me. He told them that plainly before it ever happened. He knew where He was headed. Because He's God, of course. But God chose to experience not just death. This trek into the wilderness to find His sheep was not just a pleasant meandering through the the nice countryside. No, my friends, it was the path of the cross. And when people knew that Jesus had been crucified for their sins, they saw something of the magnitude Of God's love. They saw something of the magnitude of God's determination to have them. (coughs) That He would willingly endure that kind of a humiliating death. And as they heard the gospel story, and they heard about what Jesus did for them to go out and find them and to bring them in, it brought out in their souls the greatest determination to love God and serve God. And so... May it be in our day. Even though we don't comprehend the horrors of crucifixion and, and, and perhaps, perhaps Mr. Gibson has well portrayed it and there may be some benefit in that. But when Paul went out and preached, you know what he preached? He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, he said, when I came among you, I was determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He came preaching the cross. Why the cross? Why preach the cross? Because it was the epitome of the love of God for His sheep. It was not this pleasant trip through the mountains. No, it was a painful death to Calvary. And if we cannot see the love of God in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the painful suffering that He endured for me, then I'm sure all of the warnings of hell will not suffice. All of the terrors of judgment could not come together and make us want to serve God. My friends, it is only the deep and abiding love of God for sinners that will make a sinner turn from his sin and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be so in each of us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning for this parable that You told while You sojourned here on this earth. How that You told about leaving the comfort of the ninety and nine and how that You left the glories of heaven, the comforts of sweet physical fellowship in the Godhead 
and took upon yourself the form of human flesh and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Father, we thank You that our Lord Jesus would not only be willing to suffer any death at the hands of sinful man, but Lord, to suffer such a humiliating one, such a painful one. Lord, may it bring forth from each of our souls, from the depths of each of our souls, a great love and affection for Him who has died for us. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And so, Father, this day we adore you for loving the people from all eternity. Our Lord Jesus, we love you for coming into this sin-cursed earth and paying for our sins. Holy Spirit, we adore you this day for coming and making what the Lord Jesus did and the Father before the world ever began, real and sweet and vital to our hearts. Now, Father, behold us here today. If there be one here, Lord, who is wandering away, oh God, would you be pleased in your mercy even this day to arrest such an one, to cause him to hate his sin? To cause him to see the glory of Christ. And to turn and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And repent of sins. And Lord, behold, all of us here. We confess to you, Lord, our wicked, our wicked tendency to wander. Lord, we sing the song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. May that be the cry of each of our hearts even now. We ask in the sweet, wonderful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 181. But Aaron, would you leave that?
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.